Hello, I'm Ian McAllister. And I'm Oliver Kinner, and this is Brainwaves episode 126, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of 24th of July. It's a Spiel des Jahres special. All this and more this episode of Brainwaves. Originating in 1978, the Spiel des Jahres has long been considered the pinnacle of board game awards. While many others have popped up as the hobby has grown, the Spiel Award has always held a special place in our hobby and is coveted by designers and publishers alike. Every year, a panel of judges samples games that were released in the preceding 12 months in the German language to determine the winner of the prizes. And yes, that was prizes that I said, for you see, the Spiel des Jahres may be the main award, but there are also two other accolades, the Kinderspiel des Jahres, or Kids Game of the Year, and the Kennerspiel des Jahres, which is often referred to as Connoisseur's Award, but we'll come back to that a little bit. On the 16th of July, the winners of this year's awards were announced. Mysterian Kids, designed by Antonin Bakara and Yves Hirschfeld, and published by Libelud, won the Kinderspiel des Jahres. Challengers, designed by Johannes Krenner and Markus Slavacek, and published by One More Time Games and Zedman Games, won the Kennerspiel des Jahres. Dorf Romantic, designed by Michael Pam and Lucas Zack, and published by Pegasus Spiel, won the Spiel des Jahres. And this year, Oliver was invited as a member of the press to the ceremony. So how was Oliver? Yes, it was really exciting. Obviously, first of all, I felt very honoured to be there uh, among all these other big names from the German podcast and YouTube scene, and then meet some of the jury in person and obviously talk to some of the designers of the winners' games as well. And I think it was a really well-run event. They kept it quite light. So they introduced the category and the nominees, then played uh, maybe a little video or something between and had a guest sort of related to the award in some loose sense so it was quite entertaining and then they obviously got that guest to announce the winner and then obviously winners came up and had their speech and all that but yeah it's just quite nice it wasn't like you know award and another award another award it was more like a nice entertaining time and and for me as well it gave me an opportunity to in between quickly post on social media as you do (laughs) as we were talking with the guest and whatever so but it was really well run it weren't really well Lots of people attended and it felt, yeah, like a real award ceremony as you would expect. So very special and it was great to be there. What sort of size of audience is it for the award? Gosh, um, that is a good question. So obviously at the uh, nominees there, um, the designers, people from mm-hmm. the publishers, uh, family members as well was actually sitting next to the Dorf Antic, one of their designers, uh, I believe it was wife and two kids. I, I don't, right. don't actually know. So you can imagine, you know, it was quite a large crowd. I'm just trying to think in my head how many rows of seats we might have had. But yeah, a good few dozen at the very least. Um, so it was, yeah, it was nice to see. Felt quite busy. And also then people from the press were there. So we had um, actually, so there was the award ceremony itself. Um, and then the next day, we had one of the uh, major German television uh, stations there to record the press conference. Cool. Um, and on German television, again, on one of the larger German television channels, the uh, day after of the, the award, the morning after, they actually reported on it and had uh, someone talking about board games and had the award winners there, as in the games themselves there. And I believe it was going to be reported on radio as well. And And I think... One of the um, judges of the jury actually works for one. Uh, she's a um, 
uh, a a journalist working for a major German magazine, and I believe one of her articles was published in in the following, you know, on the on the website. And I think goes in the magazine as well. So certainly, even in the wider sort of media space in Germany, uh, it's quite well covered. So it was nice to see. Awesome, and you covered it yourself. Uh, we have some interviews Oliver carried out with uh, some of the winners, uh, the well, the three winners of the Kinderspiel, Kinderspiel, and the Spiel itself. First up is the interview with the winners of the Kinderspiel this year. That was Mysterium Kids. Et puis 
je me suis réveillé, on a eu le And when you playtested the game, did you have a favorite moment? Some, something, someone using the drum or the tool? Yes, right. when, he's, when he's uh, smiling, and uh, that's a moment. That's yeah. a very good moment, uh, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, la magie, la magie du, de la première fois où les gens ils sont persuadés que ça marche pas. Et quand ils jouent, ils disent, en fait, ça marche. Next up, we have the winner of the Kennerspiel Challengers. So, yes, I'm here with Johannes Krenner and Markus uh, Slavicek, the winners of the Kennerspiel Challengers. Uh, First of all, congratulations. Uh, well done, well deserved. Obviously, obvious question. So you have a deck building game, lots of deck building games out there. You've got a battling game, lots of battling games out there. Why did you go with that? What was the idea behind it? And obviously you've taken it further. What, what, what was the idea? How did you approach it? Um, on, so we took inspiration from uh, a kind of games which is called Auto Battler. And the aim of the game is, so to say, to build the perfect team and then just let the teams cash against against each other. So for our game it was uh, quite clear for us that we want to have something where you can add team members or get rid of team members and so over the course of the game get a better and better team which you can cheer for and so the deck building was kind of a almost obvious decision because it allows uh, the player to really take, uh, yeah, to really modify the, the team and build it uh, in the way they want. Yeah, in a very easy way, yeah. Yeah. an approachable way. Yeah. And then, because you're fighting battles with different people over time, I presume a good deck in one battle might not be such a good deck in another battle. Was yes. that part of the idea that you have to think about and re rebuild your deck? Um, yes, uh, so um, Challenges is a tournament game and we wanted to have it's have like these intimate moments with uh, different players but yeah I wouldn't say it's a we went with the sports theme because we didn't want to have like a, a really a battle yeah. uh, in the auto battlers in the computer uh, game genre they always have fantasy figures that are beating each other up uh, and we said it why didn't nobody come up with uh, some sort of sport that's a peaceful activity? And so we um, took the. We were we were originally had like uh, animals that had a secret uh, sport that yeah. humans don't know about. <laughs> then the theme diversified, and now it's a catch the flag tournament with. Uh, crazy <laughs> characters. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of the crazy characters, what are your favorite cards? Have you got a favorite card that you really From like? The illustration? Yeah. Illustration or the action? Or the, Mer or Merman, yeah. the Merman yeah. is the greatest illustration uh, for, in, in all board game <laughs> illustrations. So it's, it's Jeff Harvey. I think he's uh, did an amazing job. Did an amazing job. Yeah. yeah. My favorite card is uh, actually the Necromancer because for this card I think it is just like a such a well-rounded package because you have the the theme which meets, uh, which fits the ability and then the artwork is amazing and also 
sometimes I just love to play the card and, and revive my other cards, even if it's sometimes not the best decision. I just like <laughs> to build my deck around just it. Just because you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, thank you very much. Congratulations again. Great game. I have only played on BGA, but I know it doesn't work on BGA because you're just clicking. You have to play it in person. So I need to get myself a copy and actually it's play with people. different experience. Yeah, it's just, yes. I think it's, it's the idea that you do play with people and that's the important part. So thanks very much and congratulations thank again. Thank, thank you. you. And finally, we've got an interview with the winner of the Spiel des Jahres itself, the Dorf Romantic Designers. So I'm here with uh, Michael Pallen. Yes, hello. And Lukas Zahn. Hi. Yeah, I can, I can do that in German. Yeah. <laughs> winners of uh, Spiel des Jahres Dorf Romantic. Yes. Congratulations. Happy winners. Happy, Happy winners. winners. Yeah. I hear you've been very nervous beforehand. How, how was the time, the week or two weeks before, or after the nominations were announced and until now? How did you feel? Uh, directly after the nominations, uh, we were very excited. Then we tried to uh, push it away for a while. Yeah. But the last week was horrible. Yeah. And especially here, it was so exciting for us. I mean, uh, I said that before, um, so many people would say now, yeah, uh, it was clear that you would win, but for us it's not clear. You don't know. It's an honor to get those. And, um, and there's always a surprise uh, yeah, the could, jury of Spiel des Jahres. It could always be a surprise for, for everybody, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You cannot expect to get another nomination. So. It was really, really exciting. Yeah. yeah, well done. So, the obvious question, this is a computer game. Why did you feel you have to translate a computer game into a board game? What, what was the, why did you come up with the idea, oh, we're going to translate it into a board game? Because the, the video game is already very board gamey. It's it, it basically a board game with an infinite amount of tiles, yeah. which is the problem. Yeah, yeah, problem for us, but which is the cool thing about the video game, right? And so it feels really natural for us to do this. And ex uh, especially uh, if you can play it then with, with the whole group at the table, which yeah. is different from the you discuss, video game. You, you discuss yeah. your, your moves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it makes it turns a sort of a solo experience into a group experience. Yes, yeah. and it, it works for solo as well for groups. And uh, this was kind of a surprise for us because we we saw the people discussing so much about every single tile. Yeah, and now, and now in the Pogo there will come a Dorf Romantic dual uh, version. Yeah. yeah. So you can um, play against each other. Yeah. With teams or with single players? Okay. Yes. If you want, yeah. And yeah, so how does that work? Are you just trying to build the best Dorf, basically? Or? Yes, but we put a new... Um, it's an old New tasks inside, new kind of tasks in, uh, into the game, and two modules which make the game a little bit more tactical. Okay. Yeah, and, and uh, obviously you have two sets of, uh, of a special setting yeah. that work better uh, for, for the dual mode. And uh, one has uh, a hidden stack and the other open stack. And so both have exactly the same tiles and uh, must to do the best with it. So designing this game or translating it from a video game into a board game, what was the most difficult part, would you say, to, to make it work? That you don't have endless 
fast endless tides, of course, and you, we had to to make it interesting by for, um, with the with the campaign. I think yeah. the campaign took a lot of time. Yeah, because this is really the spice of the game, the campaign. And um, but uh, another very time-intensive task was to create the basic set. Because you have so many tiles, you have six sides, and you have to decide on which side you put what. And in the video game, they are generated. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's infinitive. So, yeah, this took a lot of time and a lot of uh, brain work to do. Well, you know, I've yet to play the game, but congratulations. And, Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the evening. We will. Thank you very much. Thank bye you. bye. Bye. Now, I got jealous, Oliver. Uh, I didn't want to miss out on all the action. Uh, uh, thanks very much to your efforts. I had an interview with Martina Fuchs, who is one of the judging panel this year and has been for the last couple of years as well. And we'll just play that interview for you right now. I'm delighted to welcome Martina Fuchs to the cast. How are you doing, Martina? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you for inviting me it's a real pleasure to have you here thank you very much for giving us your time uh, you're a member of the Spiel des Jahres jury can you tell us a little bit about your gaming background and how you came to be a member of that jury I was playing uh, since I'm a kid and I was playing always the Spiel des Jahres uh, game so uh, it's it's really a ward uh, which I know uh, since I'm a little child but then I stopped playing about being 14, 15. Uh, I have other things in my mind and not really board games. And I started playing really about uh, 2008 with um, Dominion. And uh, Dominion was both one of the games that mm -hmm. really uh, get me into playing again. And um, when um, you, you have to be a critic to be a member of the jury. So... Sure. Um, Five years ago, I started my podcast, uh, Fuchs und Bär, which uh, when you were translated as Fox and Bear. And we started this podcast, not, not really with, uh, with having in mind to, to be a jury member, because uh, our podcast is about huge games uh, like King, Kingdom Death Monster or Gloomhaven or Voyage Queen or things like that. Um, with uh, very, very long episodes, like three or four hours. And wow. <laughs> yeah, we, we go very deep in, in, into the games. Sure. And um, I've, I've, I've had this podcast two years, and then really uh, I've got an email like, hey, Martina, uh, I would like to talk with you for, uh, from our chairman, Harald Trappers. And then uh, we phoned and he, he asked me, um, Martina, would you like to be a jury member? And then you really have to think about it because um, it's a very much playing you have to do. And uh, then you have a little time to think about it. And then all the jury members have, have to vote. They, they, they have to vote if they want you to come in or not. Um, and, and then you have one year, um, you're in the jury, and after that is another vote. So um, it's, it's, it's always like, um, you, for, for yourself, you can look, is, is it a work I want to like to do? And all the others think, okay, uh, that, does she fit in the group and so on. And this is how I became a jury member three years ago. So this is the third award I was voting. 
So you have to be sort of readmitted every year to the jury to to be a jury no, member. No, no, it's it's only the first years for one year, and then we have every four years. Every four years. Right. So yeah, and do you have to sort of when you were first um, elected? Do you have to sort of give a pitch as to what you're going to bring to the jury, or is it just a matter of the other jury members deciding whether you fit or not? Um, it's it's because we are critics. Uh, you can see what we do, and um, the, the the other jury members. I, I I wasn't there, so I couldn't get uh, get a pitch. You you have a, a lot of talks to some of the jury members, and mm-hmm. then the jury members discuss, but without you, and they yeah, discuss if it fits or not. And um, I, I I think really because they they see how you're working and what you're doing. They they can imagine if you are the right person for this uh, jury membering or not membership or not. Right. Um, so I mean, the spiel is regarded as like the award by the board game industry. Can you kind of give us an idea of the process behind the awards? How do the jury go about selecting games? How do they go about whittling them down, and then the eventual award itself? Um, I, I think the, the first thing I have to say is that we all do this as a volunteering job. So we're mm. not paid and we're not allowed to be involved in the industry. That's uh, very important. Our partners or children ch- ch- or anything are not allowed to be involved into the industry. Okay. Um, so I think this is one very um, important point. And then from the work, um, you you see we are we are um, we are podcasting um, with a picture, and you see all the games behind me. We are testing about two hundred fifty to three hundred games per year. Wow! And we are testing them in different groups um, with different people, from casual gamers as well as game addicts to choose then really the right game for both of our uh, awards. Because I'm not in the jury for Kinderspiel. This is an okay. expert jury because you have to play with children. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and um, this is really uh, very different uh, to the work we do. Sure. Be- because we are, we are playing uh, a little bit with children, of course, uh, by our age or 10 or a little mm-hmm. bit older but but uh the the most we are playing really with uh, adults yeah and and then you get all the games um it's not really that um we will um we will get them we are like other critics or we write mails and ask for review copies and uh because we get a little bit more than a normal reviewer i think um because we, we try to to search that we will get really every game which comes out in German. Because this is important. Um, we're always looking for the German games. Yes. Um, so things happened like Fantasy Realms, uh, like everybody in, in, in English knows uh, a long time, two years ago. And um, at uh, 2020, it was the first year where you can play Fantasy Realms in German. So. Sure. Um, we were looking for all the German stuff. And this yeah. is really about 250 to 300 games, about 350 when you take all the expense, expansions and so on with you. 
but we are not looking at any expansion. We are only looking at the base game. Sure. Okay. And then really, it's it's a lot of playing. It's like when 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 you think about 250 to 300 games. Yeah. It's uh, not only one game a day. No. But, but, but about so we'll. I think we all play about at least three or four times a week. Sure. And then at the weekend a little bit and uh, at other special things. So we are playing every time I have time I'm playing games. Wow. So how does um how does that sort of like that that, that 250, 300 titles get whittled down to the sort of short lists and then the, the winners? Yes. It's it's really um when it started, um every jury member has to write a letter and the letter was sent per, per post office to 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 one of the members who collected them and uh, do a list. Now we're in, 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 in the digital time. So yeah. we have Excel sheets and uh, working on Excel, Excel and have there a list of every game which is in this year. Wow. And there we, we will have a, a, little, a little scale like uh, a minus, a plus and a circle. Yeah. With which I do after I play a game. And sure. when I see a lot of my other jury members have a minus on it, I can think about to not play the game. Okay. Or when I have a minus and everyone else have a plus, I really have to play it again yeah. um, and, and write with the, with the other uh, jury members because we have a, an internet forum where we are writing about all the, uh, the games and so on because we are located everywhere in Germany. Mm. So uh, we're not at one point and meet uh, all the time. We're yeah. really writing a lot of the games. Yes, and then about after, after the Spiel in Essen, one, 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 uh, one month further, about um, end of October, um, at the begin, begin of November, we are, we're beginning to do a top X list. This is the list where we think we have games which we would put on the nomination when it would be May. And sure. um, so, so we start to create a list with all the games. Uh, we really think this is a very, very good game. Because we don't have so much bad games. We had a very lot of okay games or good games. But uh, the game uh, for the list and for the nomination uh, has to be really great. And so, so we are collecting with the top X list. We are we are creating uh, the list of all the really great games, and you see what title the other put on this list, mm -hmm. and um, this de develop all the time. And in May, we uh, come together uh, for for a huge clausure, you you call it, and we are sitting in a hotel and talking about every game which is on this top X list. So everybody is allowed then to take a month of um, 15 titles with him. And then we go into this and talk about every game which is on it. It's then about 30 to 40 games we are discussing. Right. And then we are, uh, at this time, we are 11 people. 
in uh, the jury for Spiel des Jahres, ein Kennerspiel des Jahres. Um, and every game which will come in the next round has to have six votes. And this is the thing. And then you have a smaller list. You're discussing again. And then you have a smaller list. And then uh, we discuss about, okay, which are the games we will nomina nominees, nominate? Nominate. It's the real uh, thing. And um, then we discuss about the further li list we're doing. And this is how you get from 250 games to 300 to 50. About. Right. So this year, Dorf Romantic won the Spiel des Jahres. Uh, can you give us an insight into why that game was chosen over the sort of shortlist candidates? So I'm I'm not allowed to give you uh, the reason or inside things why we choose Dorf Romantic, but I can say what I really like about Dorf Romantic. Dorf Romantic is really a cozy game. You can play it as you want to play it. You mm -hmm. can play it. Like uh, every time you get 120 points or you can play it, I will always get better and better and better and better. Mm. Um, so you can play it as cozy as you want to play it. I was uh, taking um, Dorf Romantic to my Wargamers and was asking them, please, can you play Dorf Romantic with me? Because we have to play it with different yeah. players. And so I tried to do it with my Wargamers. And the normal people start by about 100, 120 points for the first round. Um, they really hit it with uh, 158 points in the first round. So you can play Dorf Romantic very strategic if you want sure. to do it. <laughs> but you don't need to have to. So it's a co cooperative game. Yeah. It's very cozy. You can play it after a hard day of work. Uh, you can play it with two people. You can play it alone. You can play it with six people if you want to. So this is really what I love at Dorf Romantic. And it's it's always um, when 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 you when you played one game, you uh, always have the chance to open something to get yeah. something new, and uh, then you start playing again. And so it's. Um, It, I, I think you feel very good while you're playing Dorf Romantic. And so I really love this game. Uh, I'd like to come away from the specifics of this year to talk about the sort of spiel in general. In, in recent years, and maybe for the entire of its run, the spiel has always felt like it's focused on the lighter side of the hobby games market. Why do you think the spiel trends in that direction? Um, I, I, I really don't think we are such going into the lighter market. When you're thinking about Cascadia last year, I think Cascadia is not really a very light game. But it, it has the chance for people to play it very light. Sure. So you can, you can use the different cards. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can play it very, very light with, with the uh, cards where you on, only choose to get three, three kinds of an animal. Mm -hmm. um, But you can can increase the game. And I think this is very important. We are not looking for the lightest game. We are looking for a game for everybody. Um, mm. I think it's very important to think about what uh, Spiel des Jahres uh, wants to do. We're, we're not searching for the best game of the year. Sure. We are searching for the best game for everybody. And for everybody, it's really 
the people mean they're always playing Monopoly or Kniffle or Fazitin yeah. or something like this. Sure. And they wanted want to play something else. And this is what we have in mind when we nominate games, that the Spiel des Jahres games should have the option for everybody to play this game. Like, um, it's, it's very normal here in Germany uh, that for Christmas, you're buying the Spiel des Jahres game and open it in the evening uh, before Christmas. You, you open your gift and play it with the whole family. This is one typical thing people buy Spiel des Jahres. And so when you have a very, a very high-rated game, when, when you just look at the BGG rating of free something like this, it would yeah. be much. Or even a rating for two could be difficult when you have no lighter rules like Cascadia. Sure. And, and this is what we think. And it's not only... Um, well, when I talk, it's a game for everybody. Like it's it's not so long uh, that I was not in the jury, and uh, Spiel des Jahres uh, games were always the things I used as a starter or an ender, like just one or so on. I I never imagined I would play a whole evening Spiel des Jahres games. Now I have to do it. <laughs> but, but, but before I was in the jury, I, I um, took the Spiel des Jahres games as a starter, as an ender. And this is why I think Spiel des Jahres is a game for everybody. Yeah. There, there are people who are playing it the whole evening because they, they, they like lighter games. Yeah. And the one who really like more, more heavier games, um, I know it. I always play a game like this after the heavy game or perhaps before uh, everybody arrived or so on you say okay as a starter let's get a lighter game on um so this is i think the thinking after spiel des jahres and so it could not be a very hard game because everybody should have the option to play it yeah. Um, the Kennerspiel des Jahres is not really for experts. It's it's really a game for the people always buying the Spiel des Jahres game once a year or perhaps playing two or three of the Spiel des Jahres games and thinking, okay, board gaming is, board gaming is cool. I want to do more. I want to see more. And for them is the Kennerspiel des Jahres. So if they want to do a little bit more, then Spiel des Jahres. It's Kenner Spiel des Jahres. So, so yeah. this is not a, an award for the experts who know everything and um, uh, looking at BGG or other things for games. It's, it's really an option for people who say, okay, I want to play a little bit more. They can do the Kenner Spiel. Sure. I've heard the Kenner Spiel... Um... The translation gets a bit lost sometimes for Kennerspiel. I've heard it referred yeah. to as the Connoisseurs Awards a couple of times. Is that is that about right or it not, doesn't, not really. it doesn't feel quite right? Yes, it's it's um it's really hard because you have no English word for sure. Kenner, which really means what we wanna transport with this. Because it's not an expert game. Uh, yeah. a lot of people say, Hey, why didn't one Archenova last year, for yeah. example? So it, it's a wonderful game 
But when I always playing things like Micro Macro and Just One and Cascadia, Archinova would be a really hard, yeah, a, hard game. So, yeah, that's a um, jump. Yeah. So 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 we can't couldn't nominate sure. this, this great game. So so it's 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 really difficult um, mm. to explain what Kenner Spiel is. So um, I, I think there's no word for it. Yeah. It's it's like Spiel des Jahres isn't the game of the year it's it's often translated as the game of the year yeah but the best game of the year would be the best game in one year hmm. but it's not the best game it's the best game for the agenda we have at spiel des jahres yeah like finding a game for everybody yeah reaching out to that wider audience yeah it, it, it's a great idea it's a great philosophy yeah it's, it's because we wanna, we we want the people to to start gaming. Yeah, and 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 this is really something which I think it's very important, and it's 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 getting more important year after year, because um, everybody is working so much uh, digital, mm. and I think it's it's important to to say, hey, this is really a great hobby, and and, and it's nothing. Only for kids. I think uh, everybody who plays games know this. Oh, I'm a board gamer. Oh, yes, really? I think it's only something for gay, for, for children. No, is it not? One of the things that the Spiel Committee has said in the past, uh, I think it was a couple of years back, they basically came out and said, we haven't considered some games because of the bad rule books in those games. Why do you think the industry still continues to produce games with such a fundamental problem in being able to explain games through rule books to customers um i don't think that um that they do it on purpose yeah. <laughs> I, I, really i, I, think, <laughs> I hope so um i i think it's very very difficult to write mm. board game rules and um it's it's not so easy to to write a rule book which really take the player from the beginning to the end through the mm. game I I I think I think they are all doing their best and trying to do their best, but um, they have to pay all the people. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes you're you're just in a tunnel when you're creating a board game, and then you have to have a very good editor for the rule books. Yes. It's not only the thing of an author; it's it's a thing of a good editor, which yeah. how they're working together. I think sometimes it's really the time, like, okay, you have only three months for the rule book or something like this. Yeah. And for the uh, more difficult games, it it increases to, to write a, a good rule book. And uh, like I playing, I, I love playing Kingdom Death Monster or things like that, the huge Kickstarters, and they're often really hard with the rules. Yes. <laughs> But but for me it's okay because this is another kind of game. For an expert, um, the rules can be not so elegant, I think, because they can work through it. But for Spiel des Jahres, it's very important that the people can open the game and read only a, a short rule and then start playing. I love tutorials like Jaws of the Lion. Jaws mm. of the Lion, I really loved it because. You have a smart tutorial for five scenarios, and after that, you really can play Gloomhaven. Yeah. 
And uh, I've played about 260 hours Gloomhaven, so I really love oh. the game. Um, and when people ask me, uh, what shall I do when I start playing Gloomhaven, I always say, play Jaws of the Lion first. Yeah, I, I, I've got Gloomhaven myself, and that would, I haven't played Jaws of the Lion, but that'd be my advice as well, because Jaws of yeah. the Lion just seems a nicer introduction to that world. It, it's, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful to get such a complex game explained in a tutorial yeah and so uh, really i love tutorials when when you mm. do it in a good way to to um to tell the people how to play the game when we test spiel des jahres games i have always one time with a group to unpack it and mm -hmm. see how it is if one family would buy this game and put it on the desk so we unpack it together we read the rules together. We do everything together. And yeah. then we, we see how um, does how does it go? How does it yeah. flow? Um, is it okay? Are there a lot of questions? Um, how long does it last? And so on. And yeah. so I always do that. Before Spiel des Jahres, I was somebody who always uh, prepared for such sure. an evening. Yeah. So I had the game and I could explain it and so on. And now we do it all on, on the desk. So, um, because I have this feeling only one time per game. Yeah. So you get an idea of how a family just buying that game would experience yes. it. Yeah. No, yes. great idea. Um, be, because this is one of the things when we have games, which I'm thinking about is it Spiel des Jahres or is it Kenner Spiel des Jahres? I have to, to play it with different mm. groups and I have to see it, how it's functioning. This is really nice. Well, we're just about the end of our time, Martina. So I'd just like to ask one more question. What, what was your personal favorite game out of all the nominees this year for the Spiel and the Kenner Spiel? Okay, all of the nominees. Yeah. Well, what, okay. what was your personal favorite? What would you like to have seen seen one if it wasn't your particular favorite? Um, I can't say anything about that. Okay, sure. Um, but uh, the game which I really love to play this year is now Frosthaven. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it isn't out in German, so we are playing the English Kickstarter. And uh, this is really the game in this year I love to play because it does so much better than Gloomhaven. Yeah, great. I, I mean, I've got, I've got Gloomhaven myself and my campaign is kind of paused at the moment because we've all, we've all become very busy. But I hope to get back to it eventually for about 20 missions and I think. But yeah, I really like Gloomhaven and Frosthaven looks amazing. Yeah, so so I, I, I started that now and um yeah. I've played all all the games we, we nominate, I played a lot and I love to play play them all. Or because every game has its uh its own time to play it. Yeah. Like 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 fun facts you play with a nice group. I love to play challenges, the Kenner Spiel des Jahres for a starter of um a game evening. Yeah. Um Icky, which you all played at uh, 2015, uh, it's an old game for the English people. Yeah. Um, it's 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 a very nice game, which very nice things to to think about it. But it's for four players. When I see Planet Unknown, you can play with six players and you're puzzling and so on. So I think yeah. every game has um, really um, a good time. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time, Martina. And uh, you're welcome. Uh, I will hope to maybe speak to you again in future years. Thank you. I would love to. Bye. Bye.
I had a great time talking to Martina. Uh, she was a really interesting guest. And it was it was really interesting getting an insight into the Kennerspiel the Yara, especially. I think that's one of the wards that's most misunderstood outside yeah. of uh, Germany and the, the sort of ceremony itself. It's because it's all like I referred to it at the top as the connoisseur's award and said we'd come back to it because I kind of realize now that's not what it is at all. It's just yeah. like it's as Martina put it, I I think Martina put it something like basically it's just like it's sort of the next step. It's like if you want to play something a little bit more. With a little bit more mm. crunch to it, it's just a little bit more bite to it, but not necessarily like a Vida Lasarda heavy Euro game. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's just that next step. It's like trying to get people into a hobby. I think that's something that we in sort of the English speaking world don't really understand about the spiel. It's not the really the game of the year as such. Like all games, like put mm. through a filter, and this is the best game for all hobby gamers. It's to get people into the hobby. It's to say to people like like Martina was saying in the interview. It's like people buy the Spiel Diara for game for Christmas for people yeah. because yeah. that's the game you buy. Uh, and yeah, it's 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 a it's an award that gets people into the hobby, that get that grows the hobby. And that's that's really like that's something to be applauded, I think. I think so. I think it's something we should have more of globally in the UK mm. and in other countries sure. as well. It's obviously important to also nominate and award you know, awards for for games that are standing out within the hobby, you know, which are expert games, which are, you know, the game of the year to recognize designers working hard and creating something new. But that's what Spiel is about. Spiel is as an association, a charitable association as well. So their awards about getting people into the hobby. So people yeah. who may have played Monopoly, who may have played chess or something, uh, and and the the sort of little logo, the little um, peg um, is known certainly in the well in Germany, definitely probably other German speaking countries as well. And as I say, they people just buy that as a game for for Christmas presents because they know it should be quite easy to learn, quite easy to play. Um, certainly, the Spielersjahres is if it's for kids, they might get the Kinderspielersjahres uh, winner. Or as you know, if if you have played several Spielersjahres games and won something maybe the next level, um, it's a Kennerspiel. And as we've said, it's not the expert game. It's not the connoisseur's game. It is a sort of next level Spiel des Jahres. Yeah. It's still for people outside the hobby, really, who don't play every week with a games group and play all the latest and greatest, but something that they can pick up and they know it may take a bit longer to learn and maybe a bit more demanding and have some extra mechanisms in there. Um, mm -hmm. But it's still, you know, something I can pick up and learn. And that is so great to see. And I think we want more of that. We want more people in the hobby. Uh, we want to get away from this idea of the, the gatekeeping of, oh, look, you're not a real gamer because you don't play this level of yeah, heaviness game. Absolutely. And that's what Spiel is basically doing. It's, and, and you know, it's not just the award. They're, as an organization, they're doing so much more as well, encouraging game play and, and game as a sort of... Um, sort of social artifact in society something that you know should be seen alongside books and and films and things like that so yeah it's nice to see yeah very well put let's move on to a bunch of updates Yes, so back in episode 123, we reported on the move by Upper Deck to bring a lawsuit against publisher Ravensburger. The suit alleged that Ravensburger was infringing on Upper Deck's intellectual property by producing the Disney Lorcana game. The game is being designed by Ryan Miller, a former employee of Upper Deck. Now, Upper Deck alleged that Lorcana bears 
some resemblance to a game that Ryan was working on for them before he left. The case has now advanced slightly, being moved to the California Federal Court. Paul Lesko, who is an attorney we have shared information from before, broke down what the new documents mean. The case is being moved to a federal court because the defendants are not in the same state as Upper Deck, so the federal court is where the case should reside. Ryan Miller confirms when he worked with Upper Deck from December 2018 to October 2020. He began work with Ravensburger in November 2020. Now, Paul points out that this makes clear there was no overlap in his working for the two companies. Ravensburger also filed a declaration from Florian Baldenhofer, who is the international category director at Ravensburger North America. In this declaration, they state that more than $75,000 have been spent in producing Disney Locana. This is because this is the minimum that has to be at stake between citizens of different states if the case is to be heard in a federal court. Now, on Thursday, the 13th of July, Ravensburger issued a formal response to the Upper Deck lawsuit. In this, they said the case was based on baseless claims that are entirely without merit. Then they went on to say Upper Deck claims it would have sought the return of confidential information and or prevented its employees from communicating with Mr. Miller if it was aware of Mr. Miller's employment at Ravensburger and the company's work on a competing TCG. That's trading card game. But Upper Deck was aware of Mr. Miller's employment with Ravensburger and work on Lorcana when the game was announced in September 2022. And despite that awareness, Upper Deck did nothing. Upper Deck cannot now lament that it was damaged by its own inaction. So Ravensburger moved to dismiss the case outright and have brought on legal heavyweight Brian Lewis. Lewis was responsible for some of the protections that Magic's Gathering still enjoys to this day, and it's likely the world of trading card games would look very different without him. On the 19th of July, Upper Deck responded. In a statement, they said, Ravensburger's attempted dismissal fails to address Upper Deck's merited lawsuit to protect Upper Deck's intellectual property. This is a strategic deflection of our core allegations. We will continue to prosecute this case to enforce our rights and to ensure fair play within the gaming community. The motion to dismiss will be heard on, the, on August the 14th, 2023, after the game launches at Gen Con. So, yeah, first of all, thanks to Gavin Jones from Discord for keeping on top of this. So things, as you probably would expect in uh, legal circles, they're moving quite slowly. And it's the sort of everyone saying what they feel should be done or shouldn't be done. So it's the sort of war, war words with no one admitting to anything specifically, some facts being brought up. And literally just, I think they're just setting the stage and trying to maneuver the case to a court that might be most suitable from both sides. But yeah, other than that, I don't, don't know, we, we can't really say much more. We just yeah, wait moment. what comes next. Yeah, if I remember rightly, Paul Lesko, who we shared uh, information from la last time we were talking about this, um, he's an attorney on Twitter, basically said that one of the problems Upper Deck is going to face is that they moved so slowly against Ravensburger. They, they've obviously known for some time, as they as Ravensburger say in that in those quotes there. So yeah, yeah, Upper Deck have moved very slowly against Ravensburger, and I think that's probably going to stand against them trying to bring this case. And especially now, the game's going to be out by the time this dismissal uh, sort of decision comes around. That is going to be problematic. We'll have to see. 
Now, speaking of taking their time, Ian. <laughs> on the last episode of the cast, we reported on the trouble that Peterson Games seemed to be in with regards to their Demon Sultan Kickstarter. This is an expansion for the Cthulhu Wars board game. They had been asking backers for funding for individual pallets and pledging to get games out as soon as they could to backers. Backers could pay towards the pallet their game was on to get shipped, but some backers were being asked for money even though they already had their games. The whole thing was a complete mess. It does seem, however, that something is going on. Posting in an update to backers that is also public, Peterson Games said, We have secured funds from a fan who wishes to remain anonymous, which will allow us to fulfill all remaining backer orders for Cthulhu Wars Onslaught 4. They go on to say that anyone who has contributed to pallets will be getting a refund. Further down this update, they say this. It has been a very turbulent few years at Peterson Games. Everyone has an opinion on everything we've said and done, and we've certainly made our fair share of mistakes, perhaps more than our fair share. Fortunately, we anticipate that these years of turbulence are happily coming to an end very soon. In addition to securing funding for Becker fulfillment, we are penning an agreement that would mean the biggest shift ever to transpire for us. Here is all I can say at this moment. First, the news is huge. Second, the news is entirely good. Third, the news will paint a clearer picture regarding our other outstanding Kickstarter projects as well as future game releases and keeping product lines like Cthulhu Wars in stock. It should restore confidence in the future of Peterson Games. More news in coming weeks, especially heading into Gen Con. Now, many thanks to Mihai Georgescu from our Discord, who allowed us to uh, report some quotes from them last time about this situation. They've been keeping on top of what's been happening and very, very grateful for those updates. There is some speculation in the comments that Peterson Games... Sorry. There's some speculation in the comments on the Kickstarter that Pearson Games is being bought out, and I could see that as a possibility. The games that Pearson Games produce are pretty well regarded, like Thule Wars is very well regarded. It's just the management of the projects and the games that has been the problem. So I could see someone buying the assets effectively of Pearson Games and effectively taking over a bit, maybe paying off the current management to go away <laughs> and then <laughs> to someone take over. So yeah, I... I I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case. Someone says, like, yeah, we're taking over. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And as you say, there's certainly valuable IP there and value products that could be taken over by another company. Or who, who however it may, may be, maybe it's the same company just changing management. Who knows what the actual details will be. But it sounds like there's some sort of fresh injection of cash coming in and maybe other things as well. So we'll see. Indeed. And talking about companies taking over other companies... Yes, uh, there's some further news. Back in episode 119, we had James Naylor on the cast to talk about the recent acquisition of Inside the Box by his company, Naylor Games. James Naylor, head honcho of Naylor Games, is a patron of the giant brain. We thought we should be clear about that before the rest of this update. Naylor Games have now put together a GameFound project to get games to backers. The project is a pledge manager only, and is allowing backers of those projects to pledge shipping money to get their games delivered to them. To remind listeners, when we spoke to James in episode 119, he made it clear that there was stock produced of many of the ITB projects, but that Naylor Games would not be able to absorb the cost of shipping those games. The pledge manager allows an individual to see all the games coming to them and how Naylor Games have worked out the shipping. 
At the moment, Naylor Games are planning to begin shipping in September and will leave the Pledge Manager open for the next three weeks. Well, as I said, it's obviously great to see things moving forward. I wouldn't yeah, want to be in yeah. James's shoes. There's lots of things to sort out. I mean, even getting to this point must have been a lot of work to establish yeah, absolutely. What, what actually is there, what's in the warehouse or wherever it is. Well, actually, yeah, wherever it is as well. So the other things, not just what's what's available, but where is it, how to get it, working out costs. And, and as James said before, he's trying to work literally at cost basis. This is not about making more money out of the shipping. This is covering just the cost to get stuff to backer. So I think, if anything, Naila Games might break even on this just about, if if at all. Yeah. I, I feel it's probably more likely going to be loss-making if you consider all the time that's gone into this as well. So anyway, hopefully most of the ITV backers will be grateful for the efforts. Um, I've, I've seen some comments that people obviously aren't happy having to pay quite a bit for maybe a single game that, that they can now buy um, new from other uh, publishers. Yeah. We've obviously had that issue as well, and I've I've seen that being announced on on Facebook and stuff that you can buy Subterra Two from I think Pegasus Spieler and stuff like that. So there's obviously you know the, the games are available in other places potentially. So yeah, it's it's a tough situation, but I think Naylor Games is doing great work here, and and hopefully people appreciate it that they will still get their product despite costing more than they expected. Yeah, it's a difficult situation to try out and James seems to really have his head screwed on with how he's going about it. So yeah, hopefully all those things will be brought to a resolution by the end of the year, sounds it, which is great. Yeah, fingers crossed. And now, on to the news. Yes, we've got some more awards news, because uh, Jamie isn't here, I'm taking over that. The Spiel des Yara is not the only one doing the rounds at the moment. The Indie Game Developer Network, or IGDN, is, in their own words, an international volunteer trade organization that supports indie game developers creating, publishing, and promoting fantastic games. The organization supports all sorts of different tabletop games, as well as supporting live-action role-playing. It also has its own awards, which I don't think we've actually reported on before. There's a wide range of nominees for the following awards. Most innovative, best art, best graphic design, best rules, best setting, and game of the year. The winners of the award will be announced on the 29th of July. We'll put a link to all the nominees in the show notes. It's the kind of award that we really love here at Brainways because it highlights a bunch of games that I hadn't really heard of before. All sound really interesting. There are single player RPGs here, kids' games, epic fantasy, weird sci fi, all sorts of things. There's a special mention to Fiona Ruthven for their single player game, Dead Air. Fiona's one of the folks who set up the much-missed Lucky Sparrow Gaming Cafe in Glasgow and was a long-time patron of the cast for some time. Isn't anymore, but uh, we still stay in touch. So best of luck yeah. with those awards. And yeah, I've, I must say, I've, I follow IGDN on Twitter and it's nice to see that they are supporting the smaller publishers. And as mm. you say, seeing them getting an award and a special mention is always great because it's not just the big players. It's it's quite often the smaller publishers, the self-publishers that, that have some great ideas and interesting games coming out. So, yeah, congratulations to the nominees and we'll see who's winning. Indeed. But uh, moving on to Train to Nowhere. <laughs> yes, nice one. Uh, Holmby is a company... <laughs> I'm great at links. <laughs> <laughs> Choo-choo. Hornby is a UK company whose main product is model railways. Established in 1901, the company has continued to thrive and had annual sales of 
55.11 million British pounds in 2023. Now, the company announced recently that it has bought a stake in Warlord Games. Warlord Games are a company that specialize in historical wargaming miniatures and produce games such as Bolt Action, a World War II game, and Hail Caesar, a game set in the early Bronze Age. It was founded in 2007 by two former Games Workshop employees. Warlord Games has previously collaborated with Hornby on a dogfighting, um, that's aerial combat, game called Blood Red Skies that could use airfix models. Hornby now owns 25% of Warlord Games, a stake that amounts to about £1.3 million. This is a minority stake for now, so Hornby don't have control of the company completely. The option remains for Hornby to increase its holdings should it so wish. Now, Hornby is a much bigger company uh, than Warlord Games, uh, so it's an interesting move. I can see that it makes sense for Hornby if they want to move into the hobby of wargaming. And obviously, they will have models, as we heard just now, that Blood Red yeah. Skies could use airfix models. So why not move into the sort of miniature realm and combine it with stuff they're already doing, but um, add the gaming part to it, sort of maybe sort of competing with Games Workshop, I don't know. So yeah, interesting news. Yeah, I, think I mean, so War, Warlord, games, Warlord Games take every year, it's about, it's in the hundreds of thousands of pounds rather than the millions of pounds. And so to give you a sense of like the scale of Hornby above right. Warlord. Yeah. yeah, it's nice to see. So, yeah, it's an interesting move for sure. So here's another toy company we want to talk about, Ian. As first reported on an Austrian board game website, Spielwiese, Haba, a Germany-based games company that has a focus on children's games, seems to be in a lot of trouble. Haba, based in Bad Rodach in Upper Franconia, is the largest employer in the Coburg district of Germany. Haba so far not said much about the situation. All that has been publicly announced is that Haba was... Forced to make massive staff cuts. The cuts were said to be due to... A slump in sales, especially in the end customer business. Now, as far as we know, on the 11th of July, staff were sent information that of the 2,000 employees, 650 are likely to lose their jobs. The plan seems to be that redundancy and other packages would be negotiated by the middle of August. However, it is not clear who may be affected by these job losses. According to Haba's own figures, sales at the company decreased from 364.2 million euros in 2019 to 347 million euros in 2021. Some unofficial sources say that sales continued to decline in 2022 and eventually plummeted at the beginning of this year. Suspicions over the company's health began at the Toy Fair in Nuremberg at the end of January, when Haba had only four new games available. The then company director, Tim Steffens, who had been in the office since June 2019, left the company at the end of March. Shortly after, a new management team, including a granddaughter of the company founder, took over the helm of the Haba family group in April. A few days later, Haba announced that the eight locations of the Haba Digital Werkstatt, a digital learning hub which started in 2016, would be closed. Ultimately, though, it seems that migrating all brand service to a new uniform piece of software is to blame for the Haba's troubles. Around 38% of the company's sales are direct to end consumers, through web shops and similar channels. While these were really successful previously, the new software removed certain functionality, leading to frustrated customers who voted with their feet. Now, thanks very much to Gavin Jones from our Discord for bringing this to our attention. I think we really have to wait and see when Haba makes a public announcement because at the moment, this is just all from sort of insider business knowledge. It seems more likely that the company was already in trouble than just about software. It doesn't seem like software could bring down a company this size, but maybe. 
I mean, if you've got a lot of direct consumers, especially if you're selling direct to retailers who suddenly can't buy your product because your website's terrible. I have experience. Yeah. In the, I have experience of this in the bicycle retail industry when, when bicycle companies decide to change their their websites and it all goes horribly wrong. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be it could be that I guess to an extent, but yeah, there must be more going on there, surely. Well, yeah, I think that's probably a combination. I think financial yeah. analysts do point to this relatively large chunk of direct sales, basically. And yeah, if if you don't keep customers happy, they'll they'll go somewhere else. I mean, how about? Um, might not just be about the toys and games, but all the other things they're doing. They they got some direct mail order um, brand brands and things like that. But yeah, if there's thirty eight percent of the company's sales are directly to customers, and those customers, <laughs> even a good chunk of them, leave, then the company will be in trouble. But then, obviously, add to that the general troubles in the world um, with companies struggling. Uh, you can see why maybe there will be cutbacks necessary. Also, more competitors, I guess, as well. I mean, I yeah. don't know much about the kids' sort of board game industry, but there must be, like there have been in the hobby games, there must be much, many more companies coming through producing kids' games. No, it's just competition for you. And it's just it's toys as well. Obviously, the, the wood yeah. blocks and things, you know, you can buy them probably cheaply at uh, Aldi or Little or something. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's probably a tough environment for them to work in. For sure. And yeah, they'd have to just try and shift, maybe. We'll see. We'll have to wait and see for the public announcements, as you say. But the FTC have been very public recently, Oliver. They have. Now, coming to us from Board Game Wire, it seems that board game content creators are coming under the watchful eye of the Federal Trade Commission, FTC. The FTC is the United States government agency responsible for consumer protection. The organization has just updated its guidance on endorsements and testimonials in advertising to include online influencers working on social media platforms. So, listen out, everyone. This guidance makes it clear that folk have to make it clear when they receive free games, payment for advertising, or even items like travel and accommodation that could be seen as influencing their opinion. Speaking to Board Game Wire, an FTC spokesperson said... The FTC Act and the principles underlying the endorsement guides apply to game companies and game influencers. If some followers of game influencers don't expect them to get the games for free, and if knowing about the free games would affect the credibility that follower gives to the endorsements, then the free games should be disclosed. We have brought cases against companies whose influencers have not disclosed material connections. Jamie Stegmaier, founder of Stomaier Games, which publishes Wingspan, said... I've noticed more creators on Instagram tagging their content as paid promotion from the publisher for games we've sent to them. I'd like to see Instagram offer more accurate tags slash labels, as there's a literal difference between getting a cardboard box and receiving money to express an opinion, but so we'll do for now. Up until now, I've put the impetus on reviewers to be transparent about receiving free review copies, but this is a good reminder, an opportunity to take some of the responsibility ourselves. So I've added a paragraph about this on our reviewer guidelines and in the template I use when I contact reviewers each month. Now, it's obviously always been the case that you have to disclose when you get uh, free review copies or any other compensation. uh, or It's basically just the ethical thing to do. And I think in the UK, we've been probably more clear about that and there have been probably clearer guidelines on that. Yeah, we've got people like the um, Trading Standards Commission and things like that, Trading Standards Agency, that look at that kind of thing in the UK and ACT, who I've been trying to get on for a very long time, who are like advertising standards authority kind of people. Yeah. I'm trying to get them on the cast for a while to talk about this stuff, but I just can't get it. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be good to get them on the cast, but I, I think yeah. as we've all seen on various uh, social media platforms and, and other public board game forums, 
Uh, in the US, it always seems to be the feeling that, yeah, getting a free copy is fine. Okay, we can probably agree with that. But still, you probably want to declare it. But even getting paid is fine as well. You can say your opinion mm. because you're still independent and you don't necessarily need to say that you get paid and you know, who, who cares. And I think that attitude obviously has been growing not just in the board game hobby, probably in other places as well. And that's why the FTC is picking up on that now. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some public cases where fines will be issued and, and all that quite soon. So, And I can speak to what Jamie said at the end of that quote there, that he's added a paragraph into reviewer guidelines because I got an email from Stormar Games just today about review copies. And that is in, there is a paragraph in there about being upfront and declaring that the, the copy you got is a free review copy and all that. So that is in there. So that's all good news, I think. Great to see, great to see it being possibly now enforced more on in the US as yeah. well. And and obviously, even over here in the UK, I think both uh, Giant Brain and Table of Games blog, we're always trying to be as ethical as we can be, yep. uh, disclosing relevant information if there is a potential conflict. And then readers, listeners can decide how much influence there has been. I mean, yes. mind. But at least the information is there, and that's important. Now, Indeed. speaking of good news, Ian... Yes, the Game Manufacturers Association, or GAMA, is offering grants to those based in the United States or Canada. The grants are worth $1,000 and come with mentoring. They are aimed at new board game publishers and retailers from underrepresented communities. Successful applicants will get a GAMA membership worth $300 and free admission to the next GAMA Expo in March 2024, alongside a complimentary hotel stay and $1,000 towards the cost of flights. GAMA said of the program... We welcome as broad a range of publishers and retailers into the tabletop community as possible, but there are some key components that applicants should possess. Ideal publisher participants will have an existing title in market or a late-stage prototype and a strong potential for growth. Ideal retailer participants will have an existing brick-and-mortar retail store established within the past three years or an online retail business with a strong desire to open a brick-and-mortar retail store. I mean, this feels like a good initiative to me, and it's nice to see Gamma doing something other than rearranging its board of directors for once. And yes. doing something and like trying to you know pull people up and help people out, that's good. Just a reminder, folks, it is only US and Canada for now, so do remember that if you are applying. And I presume the amounts are US dollars rather than Canadian dollars. Uh, yes, I believe so, they are, yes. <laughs> uh, but we're not done with Gamma quite yet, because there's been some awards from that organisation. Yes, at the end of June, the Origins Award winners for 2023 were announced. The Origins Awards are one of the biggest American awards, and it's handed out by the Academy of Adventure, Gaming, Arts and Design, a subsidiary of the Game Manufacturers Association. There are quite a few categories, so we're just going to highlight a few of them. So Game of the Year was Boop by Smirk and Dagger Games, which was designed by Scott Brady. Best card game went to Scout by Oin Games, designed by Kei Kajino. Personal favorite of Ian's and, well, um, says Ian's, and it's mine as well. I, I love Scott as well. Best RPG core book system, Coyote and Crow, published by Coyote and Crow and designed by Connor Alexander. There's a whole list of other winners on the site. Obviously, there'll be a link in the description as always. And, and we congratulate all of them. I mean, but do we, Oliver? Do we congratulate all of them? Because I would like to have a small, small conversation about one of the awards. There is a Best Review Award this year. I think that may be a new thing. I don't remember seeing Origins War before. 
and it's a fairly pedestrian review of mind management. And if you're going to give out that kind of award, I really want it going to like really <laughs> awesome review yeah. writing. I don't, I don't want it to me. I want, I want to see Dan Thorough winning that award. You know, people like that who write incredibly well and critically and with historical context about games and and just write really interesting things. Can we not do a little better than? Uh, I mean, it's a fine review. It's it, but it's only fine. You know, yeah, that's that's all it is. It's just it's not. It doesn't excite me that review. I didn't read it and go, oh, "That's a great piece of writing." It was just fairly matter of fact about about the game. And yeah, it it was fine. That was all. Even though I would have loved to have that um, award, but uh, no, I mean to be to serious, you, you're absolutely right. And and we want reviews awarded that deserve that title and and i think if i'm not mistaken is this a matter of um reviewers or, or writers anyway or, or whoever having to submit it themselves there's that to, as well yeah you have to send it then, to the, and then and then do you have words. to pay for it if you have one of those submissions and it was a little bit weird the sort of how yeah. the whole award part of it worked so yeah i don't know so, so if it's the only person submitting a review then they will win by default. I don't know. Just seems maybe I'll pay to submit some of mine next year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think we all should because that's ethical. Yeah, listen to our interview with Martina Fuchs about how the Spiel des Jahres done Origins Awards, yeah. and maybe you can get some ideas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of paying for things, though, this is quite positive payment, so. Yes, Cubicle 7, the publishers of the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay RPG, have made a large donation to the Children's Health Foundation. The donation was made possible by fans of the company who bought game bundles to the site Humble Bundle, which does a bunch of sort of like bundle RPG PDFs uh, every week and different companies are featured all the time. The donation was 52,450 euros. That's about 45,538 pounds and goes towards supporting sick children and their families in Children's Health Foundation hospitals and urgent care centers across Ireland. Dominic McDowell, Cubicle 7's founder and CEO, said this. My son receives amazing care from everyone in Children's Health Ireland at Crumlin, which is supported by the Children's Health Foundation. And as a family, we are so grateful for the efforts in keeping him healthy and well. From the medical staff to the ward cleaners and porters, everyone there has supported us as a family through a very challenging period. I'm delighted to be able to help support their work to help sick children and their families through this donation. Always nice to be reminded of the generosity of gamers. I mean, charity auctions are a common feature of conventions. They're always well attended. People are very generous with their money. And yeah, it's uh, great to see uh, such a large donation coming from a big publisher. Does that mean it's worthwhile? Yeah, absolutely. Now, Oliver, what's going on in the world of jobs and events? Well, first of all, we want to remind everyone of the Tabletop Jobs Facebook group. As we keep saying, there's probably quite a few American US jobs in there, but have a look. You never know. There's been some British jobs in there recently. I've uh, I've spied. There you go. Okay. I should have a look myself then. And then we have Aircon Manchester. So Aircon, the annual play-focused convention in Harrogate, uh, Yorkshire, is expanding its reach once more. Having previously announced a new show called Aircon West for Telford in October of this year, the organization is now launching Aircon Northwest in Manchester on the 8th to the 10th of December. Tickets are available now with exhibitors and events to be announced. And then finally, Scott James from Minerva has uh, made the way of the Playfest, which is running in uh, on September the 9th in London. 
It will be taking place in the Queen Mary University and is focused on helping designers to playtest their games, hence the name Playfest. It's sort of a play on words for playtest. A two-hour playtesting slot will cost £10, or if you just want to go along and play, it is totally free. Playtesters have the opportunity to win games from some of the publishers supporting the event. There will also be a digital playtesting talk from Dr. Aluka Di Gainer, who had her students use machine learning to analyze the pandemic board game. We'd just like to take a wee moment now to give a little shout out to all our lovely patrons. Thank you so much for all continuing to support the cast monetarily, especially our executive producers, uh, Kevin Bertram from Fort Circle, James Naylor from Naylor Games, and Sean Newman from the GameLot team. We really appreciate your support. Uh, you can join them for only $1 a month. Uh, it just gives us money towards our hosting costs with the website and cast. Uh, there are numerous other ways to support us on the site, direct donations, uh, there's some merchandise on Sir Meeple, t-shirts and that kind of thing. And you can also buy dice from metallic dice nate games now called fan roll but the promo code remains the same roll with brains all capital letters all one word uh yeah if you'd like to support us monetarily that's great and we really appreciate it thank you very much now there's some dice you won't be able to buy with a promo code and, yeah i don't think i don't think you want these dice no they, they've been previously used in in a weird number of ways. Anyway, so the 10th edition Warhammer 40k is upon us, and with that comes a new meta. Why pay attention to that meta, though, when you can just cheat? At a recent tournament, an attendee was caught using weighted dice to win turn order roll-offs. They were asked to leave the tournament. On their way out, they flushed the weighted dice down the toilet. And they were later discovered by someone going to use the facilities. Now, if you think about it, these are weighted dice. They probably have a piece of lead or something certainly very heavy in them. Yeah. Uh, so they're not like other dice that potentially even float in water if you have very light yep. dice. So they definitely won't flush down. Well, but one of the we one of the reasons they were caught was that the dice were tested in salt water to yeah. see if they would uh, constantly bring up the same number, and they did. And then the person was asked to leave. But why flush them after you're caught? I mean, you've been caught. You might as well take them with you. It seems yeah. weird to like, do that afterwards. <laughs> leave them as a present. Very strange. But finally, folks, before we sign off, we just wanted to bring this slightly mind-blowing bit of information to your attention. Critical Role, the RPG streaming juggernaut, is attending a London MCM Comic Con and hosting a show at Over Arena Wembley. That is a 12,500-seat arena, and they've sold it out the first day that is wow. just that that's a lot of people watching a bunch of people role-playing that just that's amazing that blows my mind it really does that is amazing thank you very much for listening folks it was a longer than normal cast but we wanted to bring you a bunch of interviews from the spiel that we could if you like what you've listened to then the best way to help us out as ever is just to share the podcast and drop us a review and rain on your podcast host of choice you can also follow Oliver at table.gamesblog.com. You can come and join us in our Discord if you'd like, where myself, Oliver, and Jamie are happy to welcome you and play games and talk about the news. Our, our Twitter is at the Giant Brain. Our Instagram is Giant Brain UK, and we are on Threads now as well, so that's the same ID. Uh, our Facebook is the Giant Brain. Our website is giantbrain.co.uk, and you can contact about anything in the show, stories you'd like us to cover, or comment on the stories that we've covered already at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. We'll see you then. Bye, then. Bye. See you then.